Dear listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to another episode of Friday Night Live. Um, it is now 7 o'clock. We usually start our show at um, 8 o'clock, but uh, due to some um, technical, um, logistical uh, needs that uh, brother, uh, our guest today, uh, wasn't able to make it at 8 o'clock, we've uh, changed it to uh, 7 o'clock, inshallah. So, um, welcome to another episode of Friday Night Live with your host, Nasser Al Khatib. And uh, co-host Abdul Rahim, who is currently late, she is practicing very uh, well the art of Muslim timing. We've mentioned before about the series uh, that we're hosting about um, Muslims and the media, the relationship between Muslims and the media, why Muslims are so often represented in a negative light in the media, whether that's a fault of the Muslims or uh, a, f- a fault of the media, if there is some sort of a, you know, a conspiracy, if it's just. Uh, uh, politicians trying to get votes from you know unfounded fears etc so last week uh, we spoke to um, brother Zachariah Matthews uh, who are from the um, JMA the just media advocacy organization and um, this week as well inshallah we'll be speaking to someone who um, is been active in the media and in the Muslim uh, community in Sydney and Australia for years now um, many people don't like him not me, I, I like him very much, uh, and I'm uh, very happy to have him here at the studios with us. Uh, brother Keza Trad, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi And uh, welcome to the uh, studios. Thank you, brother. I just wanted to correct something. This is perhaps one of the reasons that some people don't like me. I, I wouldn't say many people, but some people don't like me because I tend to uh, uh, correct things that I see need correction. Uh, I, I would not say that this is Muslim timing that the sister is late. I'd say that... Uh, it's a lady's prerogative to come at a time <laughs> that suits her. <laughs> yeah, inshallah. Uh, seeing that this program is normally at uh, 8 o'clock and uh, you were kind enough to accommodate me to uh, an earlier time slot. And I, I do apologize that I could not be available uh, later on, but uh, uh, in, the la- in the last uh, couple of months I've had a tremendous workload and uh, uh, that's uh, been filling up my time uh, no worries, inshallah. That's fine. I mean, at the end of the day, this is going to be a podcast and uh, people aren't going to uh, know if it's going to be at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock, inshallah. Um, so we will start with yourself. Um, we will take a, a one-minute break before we start uh, with Brother um, Kaiser. Uh, and uh, Sister Abdurrahim, the co-host, has just come into the studio. Assalamu alaikum, Sister. Wa alaikum salam. Sorry about that. No, that's fine. We're just talking about the importance of Muslim time. Uh, Muslim yeah. time is accurate. It's uh, well, may, maybe um, uh, meant to be accurate. Yeah, theoretically, it should be accurate. Well, traditionally, we were very accurate. That's right. Talking about timing, we changed our program today. Yeah, from seven from, to from eight. seven yeah. to yeah, eight. From eight to seven. From eight to seven. No, from eight to seven so we'll go back to uh, a different yeah. timing next week, inshallah. We like to change our timings, keep our uh, you know studio staff um, on their toes. Yes. Uh, yep. So going back to uh, to you, uh, brother Kaiser, um, and it's it's Kaiser, isn't it? Kaiser, yes. What would you prefer, Kaiser or Kaiser? Uh, look, it doesn't bother me at all. I, uh, when I first came to Australia, I had so many different pronunciations uh, that uh, this is not... Uh, uh, I've learnt in my life that it's more important to focus on the issue than on the labels. And uh, if you're going to worry about focusing on the labels and tell everybody, no, this is how the way it's pronounced, uh, you waste valuable time. Yep. And if they get it, they get it. If they don't get it, the issue is more important to mm. me than the label. No worries. And um, w- what, when did you come to Australia? A long time ago, 36 years ago. 36 years and, ago. Uh, How I old were you then? I continued my schooling I was t- just a few days before I turned 13. Uh, okay. So that tells you that I'm 48. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> uh, it, I continued my uh, high school in Australia. My education was Arabic-French. I had to switch to English here. And uh, after that, I uh, went to university to study uh, science. I pulled out to join the workforce I, after one year. Then I studied accounting part-time. I completed that. I decided to follow that up with uh, legal studies. I did that for one year and decided that I, I don't have the time for it. Uh, by that time, I uh, had a number of children and I was working full-time. And uh, at that time, we had the benefit of Paul Keating as Prime Minister, and he changed uh, the rules for the public service where people could uh, get a promotion on the basis of merit rather than on the basis of what degrees they hold. And uh, at that time, uh, I thought it was a a very, very courageous and wise move because uh, 
Uh, we were getting uh, people who are fresh out of university, graduates who may have been good academically, but they required a great deal of training to translate that uh, um, learning into into practical uh, uh, experience uh, and, and to be able to actually implement it. So uh, what Paul Keating did was, was innovative and it was very, very clever. But uh, John Howard came later and uh, he had a different... Uh, Idea. And, and what is interesting in that, and I know this may not be the topic that everybody uh, is keen to hear about, is that uh, uh, tertiary education has become a, a dividing fac factor in society and it's a means to make people elites and categorise jobs on the basis of uh, what qualifications you have. Unless you're self-employed, there's a certain degree of elitism, that there are certain jobs you cannot access. There are jobs that require qualifications, uh, uh, technical qualifications. If it's a technical job, you need to be an architect or a doctor. Of course you need those qualifications. And a lawyer. And a lawyer. Uh, I, I don't know why they ever put uh, uh, the, the W in that word. but <laughs> it, Get rid of the... Layer. Get through to the A and the W. Uh, I and think trying to spell liar, but that's okay. You didn't uh, go to university, so it makes sense. No, no, I did go to university twice. No, no, <laughs> take out the A and the W, and it's phonetic uh, for some of the things that they get involved in. Uh, with And my uh, respects to all the lawyers out there. Uh, I have many friends who are in the legal profession, but uh, I've also seen people on the other side who um, uh, have uh, really shown absolutely no care for the truth. And uh, regardless, irrespective of that issue, uh, sure. we... we We've transformed tertiary, after Keating, we've transformed tertiary education into uh, something that divided society. In uh, technical jobs, yes, you need it. Even, even uh, um, jobs that don't require university qualifications, for example, a mechanic or, uh, needs to be qualified. They need to know what they're doing. But there are many jobs that don't need it. And in many cases, you can learn on the job. And if you can learn on the job, it should not be a, div a, a, a dividing factor between people. Yeah. And that's uh, very interesting and actually something that I'd love to get into, inshallah, in another show. On another, on another, on another occasion. Inshallah, yeah. Um, so from what I understand, you, you didn't start from a, I guess, a conservative Muslim family. Many I mean, people coming from, you know, the Middle East, uh, Lebanon, Iraq, from uh, my case, came without much of a, a religious background. So when did you start getting this interest in religion? Look, my, my parents... Uh, prayed. My father uh, and my mother were always keen to pray on time. Uh, whenever the time for prayer happens, they will pray on time. But uh, interestingly, when I was young, before the age of 10, I'd try to go to the mosque in, in uh, Tripoli, Lebanon, and more often than not, uh, the, some of the adults would chase us away. What, what are you doing here? And uh, I, would, uh, I would look forward to the uh, occasions when my father was home and was uh, going to the mosque so I can walk with him and nobody would be able to say anything to us. If, if you're walking with an adult and going, into, they wouldn't dare say it in front of your father, but they were regularly chasing children away from the mosque. And growing up there, it was almost impossible to find a book on Islam in Tripoli at the, in that period of time, in the 70s, hmm. early 70s. Uh, I had access to the Qur'an, yes. We could get uh, Qur Qur'ans in Arabic. We could get a couple of other small books. Uh, certainly, we, we, we had no access to collections of hadith. We had access to uh, translated uh, romantic works, translated detective novels, uh, uh, and uh, some of the old stories, uh, but nothing really that would teach you about your religion. Uh, I recall probably only ha ever having one scripture class at school. In all my schooling in Lebanon, on one occasion a sheikh came into the classroom. Most of the time nobody would, nobody would come. Nobody cared. Uh, or maybe they didn't allocate, maybe they weren't invited. Uh, so we didn't really have that access. But uh, uh, interestingly, 10 years later, after, after, after we left, all, there was an explosion of interest. There were, uh, uh, when they had the first uh, Arabic book exhibition in Lebanon, uh, it was so popular, sold out so quickly, and they started producing books and opening uh, bookshops and... When I went back in '86, I was able to come back with a huge collection of Islamic books. But uh, before that, uh, my father used to travel regularly, and I was always asking him to get me Islamic books. I was always saying, can you find me some Islamic books? I'd hear names here and there. Uh, we were living too far away from the mosque. I wasn't coming and meeting with people at the mosque at that time. But I had that interest. And I'd say, can you get me? Uh, I heard the, the name Sahih Bukhari. Can you find it for me? Uh, he would get me the he would get me the book on his on, on his travels, 
and as, as I read some other Islamic books, and I, f- I, I read the references as uh, they recite hadith uh, and stories. So I'd make a list of all those books. Say, so can you get me those books? Mm-hmm. And this was while you were in Australia. That was that was what, in my teenage years when I was. And in this Australia. was uh, what in Arabic or English material? No, they were Arabic material. Yeah. Um, in fact, I didn't know that they were translated uh, that were Islamic books translated to English till till after I went for Hajj. Mm. Uh, in '87, we, we did not have the access to those books. Uh, the, when I knew, all of a sudden, uh, I, I found out. Yes, there were some uh, bookshops in the back of people's houses in a uh, in a little shed. At that time, there were hardly anything. Mm. I think Famsi might have had a bookshop that was open on Saturdays. Um, uh, everything else was just too obscure in Sydney. Yep. And uh, uh, I found out about this brother who had a bookshop in a shed in, in the in, back behind his house. And we're buying books regularly, always going there, getting a stack of books, reading, uh, some given out for circulation. And when he wanted to uh, move house, I ended up buying his, uh, everything that's left in his bookshelf at that time. Mm. <laughs> I can't remember what the was What was the interest? I mean, if there was such a lack in, in books and education, there must have been no support at all, I mean, except for organizations such as FAMSI. I was never a member of FAMSI, and it uh, uh, wasn't until after I started to find these books that... Uh, uh, I started to hear that from time to time they were having conferences and bringing speakers from overseas. But what started the interest for you? The interest, I think it was always there. I think it may be my mother who really would sometimes talk about uh, uh, Islamic uh, stories and uh, that got me uh, to want to find out more yep. and find out more. And, fi- and I, I did, alhamdulillah, find out more. Uh, and uh, after I got married, I think uh, my wife was also a, a major contributing factor because uh, she shared the same interests. But before I got married, it was certainly there were times when I get these books, I'd try and c- collect the family together, my younger siblings. So I want to read this together with you. And um, I found that sometimes that was um, perhaps not the best approach because if you uh, take the time to read on your own, you can read a lot more and then do it two ways read on your own and then find the time for them so that you don't actually delay your own learning uh, experience yeah inshallah um and when did your interest in the in islamic work in the community begin yeah, this might sound a bit ironic but uh, what i found uh, and uh, i will not back down from this comment in any way uh, uh, i found that uh, our community needed a lot of a, a lot of things back in uh, in maybe uh, during the 90s because from 88 f- onwards I started volunteering my time with, with different Muslim organizations uh, and I found that there was a huge need amongst those organizations. Uh, some of the Muslim women groups, some of the other Islamic organizations including the Islamic Council of New South Wales uh, and many others. Anytime they'd call me, I'd make myself available, I'd go and help them. Uh, we were st- we were starving for volunteers. We did not have the money as a community to employ people to do this work. Uh, so I had, on many occasions, I had to take time away from my from my job. Uh, I had a professional job. I was working uh, as a senior officer in the Australian Taxation Office at the time. I'd have to take leave to go and do the things that needed to be done. Uh, and what I don't back away from is that our community leaders were not able to attract enough people they were not able to generate enough funds they were not able to uh, direct some of the funds to uh, get the right people to do these jobs uh, they needed full-time people and why can't we why can't we motivate um, our community to actually fund something like this when we see those other communities who've succeeded in funding this are you talking about then or are you talking about now uh, Look, we've gone a little bit ahead now, but we still lack a great deal. What we find today is that still, if you say, I want uh, funds for a mosque, people will pay. I want funds for orphans, people will pay. But you say, I want funds to uh, um, improve the position of our community, people won't pay. Very few people will pay. We also need to define what, what you mean by improving your position, the position of our community. Well, you can't look, just generally say that. Well, you can't just generally say it, but what you, you, what you can do is put a compa- comparison. Our community is not the smallest minority in Australia. And without, I don't want to label other communities uh, at, uh, in this program, but there are at least two other minorities in Australia who are far ahead of us. They have not been here longer than we have. 
the reason they've become wealthy and powerful and 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 uh, commanded the respect of broader society and been able to deflect criticism is because they allocated funds for proper advocates they had people who were trained to do this whereas we in our community we have people who respond to need why did i have to give up a a, a well-paying job and dedicate my time to the community because our community as a whole, if you look at sometimes you've got to look at the community as a whole, not just as individuals. Our community as a whole was not functioning properly. Our community, it seems that there were forces from within and from without that were quite comfortable in keeping our community scattered, in keeping our community disjointed. In a way, our leaders reflect the state of our people. So if we are not focused on uniting the community and fixing up the community and setting up all these fantastic systems, in a sense, our, re- our leaders will reflect that. Who did the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu reflect? Who did every... He reflected uh, the Sahabis who were no, amazing. No, 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 no. He trained the Sahaba. He trained them. Some of them were amazing. Some of them were uh, lost in the, uh, before, he, before they became Muslim. Some of them were completely lost in the, in, in the lifestyle uh, that, that was prevalent around them at that time. He rescued them. He started off as one person and he saved so many lives and he continues to save lives to this day. Uh, it, you, you might have a great deal of corruption around you. Uh, you might have people who ha- have such a huge disconnect with their religious teachings and the requirements of their faith. Somebody has to rise to the challenge. And every generation, according to Hadith of Prophet okay, so every generation has a reviver. Every generation, our community, Allah SWT sends a mujaddid for them. A mujaddid is but, a, uh, a reviver. Brother, have, have, uh, it's been seen that people who have tried to you know, carry out this type of work have been crucified, for lack of a better word. That's fine. In front of the community. That's life. That's life. Of course you're going to be crucified. And in Australia, there's uh, something that people refer to is uh, they don't like to see tall poppies. If they see a tall poppy, like a, 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 a plant that's higher than the others, somebody wants to chop it down because they want everything to look the same. Yeah, but this isn't about the Australian community. This is about within of the course, Muslim community yeah, of course. itself. I'm using the example from the broader society. Broader society, one way of, of trying to enforce equality is to do this. Within our own community, there's too many, uh, and I use this in inverted commas, leaders who want to maintain the status quo. These, uh, some of these leaders believe that uh, uh, they can continue to survive on, on, on the, on the uh, uh, pittance in terms of, of the crumbs of government grants that are given to them, which are, in, in a sense, designed to keep them in, the, in, in little uh, groups uh, rather than actually unite and, uh, you know, uh, uh, this time I will label an, uh, a, a minority. Let's. Uh, the, no, no, this is not the negative. Uh, okay. the, the Chinese community or the Asian community was maligned severely many years ago. They, their leaders came out and said, well, they, in in the process of improving the, uh, the the relationship and the understanding and the image of their community, they said we want to get to a position where we will not need any government grants. We will. We don't need the government to give us money. You imagine the 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 impact of such a comment on the ordinary Australian. Now, it, when will our leaders come out and say we want to be in a position where we don't need to take grants? We will be self-sufficient, and we will we will. Uh, uh, there's many things where we go begging for funds for where we should be able to be, but this become is, this is another topic. This is a topic, a much larger topic about the unity of the Muslim, of the Muslim, I guess you could say, the Muslim which, woman which, which community is united? You should uh, point me at any community, any minority that's completely united. You don't have to, you don't need to have, to, to be successful, you don't need the entire community to be united, but you need enough people uh, to, to, to get together and have a little bit of trust in each other after their trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and put the effort. You have to put a vision. Where do we want our community to be? And work towards it. And uh, if you don't find enough people who will do that, there, there is no harm in going out on your own and making the sacrifices. Uh, you don't need to stick in, uh, You don't need to be in the media all the time. You can be if you have the qualifications. You know, at, at one period of time when I was working full-time, for several years, I hosted a community program for the uh, for the Muslim community, completely unpaid. Uh, translated a number of Islamic books. In fact, I had, when I was working for, uh, uh, in those other jobs, I actually had time to myself, and I used that time to translate Islamic books. 
or to read or to learn or to do or a variety of different things. Uh, when I left that uh, job and d- dedicated my life to, to uh, serving uh, our faith and our community, I had no time for anything. I had no time. I would be working to late hours of the night. Uh, and it's not... I never asked anybody to thank me. I don't care about gratitude. And if uh, and I don't care about people paying me for, for that work that I do. It's something that had to be done. And yes, you do get crucified. You do get crucified and people... Uh, a lot of people don't wish to understand why this is happening. A lot of people look at uh, some of our wealthy brothers without naming any names. And I... Uh, there are some of them are people that I genuinely like. Uh, they say, but we're making good money. We don't want to rock the boat. We're making good money in business. We're making good money in this. We're making good money in that. Let's just let all these comments that are made a, a, against us, let them go. Let them slide. Let them go. But I, I don't understand. You're talking, I mean, you, you seem to be talking about two things here. First is the, the media's position on Muslims, and the second is Muslim leadership. No, no, put the, put the, the, the media as a tool. Uh, in, in, this, uh, in this issue, the way the media treats Muslims, it is being used as a tool by somebody else. Who is that somebody else? Uh, we can get to that in a second. Uh, you've, when the media attacks the Muslim community, if, if you reflect on, uh, on the historical uh, evidence, you find that it, practically every time there's a campaign that goes for a few weeks, and then it dies down. And uh, before I get into uh, that issue, you, you find that if you, if, you, if you reflect on it, you find that the tensions get to a certain level, almost to boil, just before boiling point. And somebody decides that no, this is uh, uh, too dangerous to be allowed to continue. Let's bre- let's calm it down for a while, and then they calm it down for a while. Then a few weeks later, but the compound effect has left a tremendous damage uh, in in the minds of non-Muslims and in the minds of Muslims as well. There there are vested interests in keeping in keeping that pressure and that tension there, and you find that more often than not, this pressure and this tension serves. The, the war campaigns that, that are waged against Muslim nations. You cannot convince the Australian people or the American people or the, or the British people to, to send their sons and daughters to war against Afghanistan or against Iraq unless you demonize the people of those nations beforehand. Okay. And it just so happens that, or against Lebanon or against parts of Lebanon, and it just so happens that a common factor in, in, in those countries is the Islamic religion. And for for more than a hundred years, for more than a hundred years, we have been targeted, and we have been we got to the point where we were divided as a, as a Muslim community. Our lands were scattered. We had artificial borders. This only happened through a long process of demonization. Do you know that up until about twenty, uh, not about forty years ago, children in schools in Western countries were being taught that uh, uh, Muslims were stealing European children and converting them by force. Firstly, you keep sort of going over the, the topic that we're talking about. We're talking here about the Muslims in the media in Australia. Secondly, in, in uh, Christian schools as well, they were also talking about uh, Jewish uh, Jews stealing children as well. In Arabic countries, up until I was at high school as well, we were being taught very racist things as well about the West. And also, even some of our shiuch, our very respected shiuch, would talk about uh, Western women, all of Western women, as, as being very uh, um, morally loose and almost as prostitutes. So this goes both ways. This isn't well, about... I, I, I haven't been exposed to that. Uh, I, I have been exposed I, to that I, for a very long time it, because it, I read about it. And if you if you search for these things, you'll find them no, in look, any community. Uh, I, I, but this isn't well, something I want to get into, inshallah. Well, I will invite well, you well, again well, for well, another... Um, with, with all due respect, uh, I, I have listened to many, many imams and... Uh, sometimes one of them might fall into the trap of generalization, but usually they don't. And and we have to understand uh, ourselves that uh, a generalization is never, never an accurate reflection of any community, not of our community, not of Western community, not of any society. And we have to understand that conventions in different societies uh, set the different levels of, uh, of um, I suppose, um, respectability of that person, if I can use that term. There are conventions that you can observe. But anyway, we get back to the topic. Uh, Inshallah. Inshallah. It's actually very interesting you mentioned uh, that, uh, you know, the media cycle um, it sort of builds up support for wars because there was, um, again, I mentioned this But it's time. not driven by the media. The media is being used as a tool. It's driven by somebody else. And, and who, if you, who is that somebody Okay. Else? Now, we get, if you want to, uh, uh, again, it's something that requires reflection. Uh, 
to introduce that uh, idea, you have to look at how Western societies are governed and, and who has the strongest lobbying power. And whilst Western societies have democracy on the surface, uh, Australia is an exception. Uh, uh, I'm talking about the more powerful nations. The more powerful nations, the strongest lobbying power Again, are the multinational uh, yeah, corporations. We're, we're not talking about... No, no, I'm telling you, this is, you want the answer. You can't, you, can't, you can't overlook this very important factors. Who drives the war campaign in America? They are the, the corporations that actually profit from these wars. The war profiteers who, who uh, actually produce the weapons. You have companies that produce white goods such as refrigerators and washing machines who have invested heavily in producing weapons. You have the, the weapons companies, I'm not naming names, but I can give you the references later on, yeah. who, uh, who uh, actually have such a tremendous lobbying power with the government that they need constant testing ground for their, uh, uh, for their weapons. In addition to that, when you have powerful nations whose economies are suffering because they're running out of resources, uh, they need to look at the res other countries with the resources and they go, go on a resource grab. And when they go on a resource grab, uh, what was the war in Iraq about? You know, in Lebanon, they were teaching children that as soon as the oil leases that were held by Europe would, would expire, there's going to be an attack on Iraq and somebody else is going to try and get in there and get their hands on the leases. They were being taught that decades before the Gulf War started. So we, we happen to be sitting on resources. We are seen as expendable. Uh, this uh, secular uh, consumer society does not necessarily uh, look at human beings as being equals. It looks at them at, as uh, expendables. You're either a customer or somebody who might be expendable and expendable to produce a product for them. If they look at you as someone who's expendable, what is of most interest to them is, are you more valuable than the resources that, are, that you're standing on? If the resources are more valuable to them than you are, they will go into your, your land and grab those resources. And that's what we've seen. We've seen that in a... Uh, in, in Iraq, uh, in, in the Middle East, we've seen a grab for territory. Not, there's not that many resources there, but the territory is valuable. Uh, the, the most valuable resource that they want to grab in those territories is water. They want water and land. Water and land. So, uh, but again, again, I mean, you mentioned that generalizations don't represent people, and you just made a massive generalization about consumer and societies. I will agree with you that there are um, what uh, John Perkins uh, calls uh, corporatocracies. So they're very massive, uh, you know, corporations that are able to influence governments. Uh, of, of both, you know, uh, countries that they want the, the wealth of, as well as, you know, Western countries, if you will, that uh, will invade or use any of their political influence to, to get for these corporate uh, corporations what they want. But this isn't just for Muslim countries. This is for any country that has wealth, even in South America, even in Africa. They're the third factor when it comes to Islam. There's a third very, very important factor. And okay. that factor... But this, this factor, this deserves a, a full episode for it. So well, that's yeah, why I don't can, want to get into be, it, it now be, because... No, no, it we can won't be summarized. It can be summarized very briefly. That Islam, up until a, a short time ago, a short time in terms of the life of this world, Islam was a powerful empire. And keeping us broken and divided keeps us away from re reclaiming the, that power that... that we deserve to have so that's an added factor that plays into into this equation but that's that they i mean in a way they're all sort of conspiracies i mean you can't really there's no real evidence to suggest really anything of what you're saying there's a lot of evidence that uh, there's been many many books that are written by uh, well, people books aren't who, evidence though you no, know no, that no no no, 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 no. Of course, books are books on their own. Are just opinion. Uh, no, book, books are opinions. But when when the book makes reference to statements that are made by political leaders, or statements that are made by corporations, things that are written, it, actions of the corporations, taken recorded, out of context, uh, recorded actions of the well, sue them, sue them. We have uh, uh, one powerful organisation, an extremely powerful organisation that that had to change its name, and most and more recently, uh, it had the the leader had to step down uh, because. They couldn't prove that these things were taken out of context. They were responsible for many of the murders that happened in Iraq, many of the murders that happened in Afghanistan, so, no. many of those other countries. One corporation, a private army, that came out of the most powerful country on earth. You know, what I'm trying to say is these conspiracies don't really help the Muslims. If anything, they just, well, they, they essentially feel like victims because, well, we're really, it's a helpless situation. Who's Can't saying really we're helpless? Why, why, would you, why would you take that... Uh, why would you... Because conspiracies encourage um, um, that feeling of being... No. 
Like, like a victim. Look, let me, let me, let me. Put you victimise yourself. Let, You're let, like, oh, but these all these conspiracies me, and all these bad, me, bad corporations that no, are all out. Let again. me put a scenario to you. Let me put a scenario to you. Why do countries have national secrets? And who are these national secrets from? Do you think the population of every country? Do you think the population of every country is given access to all the plans that are made in government? Of course not. Why? Because you're only given what you. Uh, what you need to know. The plans are being made by somebody else. A conspiracy is nothing but a plan. A conspiracy theory that's not backed up by evidence, yes, that's, that can be dangerous. But, a cons but when you say, here is the evidence, this is what has happened, this is what this person said, this is the action that followed uh, from that statement, this person was in a, in a position of sufficient power to be able to affect that action. Now, if you don't understand that these things are happening around you, you cannot start to put together a solution to deal with them. Uh, if you want to deal with them without understanding them, deal with them. I, I, I'm not uh, say, like when I give an interview in the a, in a general media, those issues are not used and not put in the open because those issues are not within the understanding of every, of every individual. Uh, in a situation like this, when we start to say, we want to know the root causes. If you want to know the root causes, uh, you have to start looking. Uh, um, uh, Nasser mentioned Perkins. I have a collection of books for Perkins. There are many others. There are many others who have written extensively on these issues. I want to talk about uh, uh, the? But an issue like this, again, an issue like this, it can, it has a lot of facts, and these facts can be misconstrued or uh, interpreted in the right way. I mean, I, Perkins, I believe most of what he's talking about. But then there's other organizations that completely flip the picture and make it look like well, well, uh, well, Sarwa well, said a conspiracy theory. Well, uh, where we're not interested in those organizations. Uh, we, but we, then again, that's why I'm mentioning that it's. No, it's but but uh, uh, look, for example, at. Edward Said. Now, you can't tell me that Edward Said was a conspiracy theorist. Look at his book on Orientalism and his other book on covering Islam. Uh, get uh, Noam Chomsky's book uh, uh, called Manufacturing Consent. And you will see some of these uh, issues that have been used. You want somebody who, uh, who's uh, uh, no more Chomsky. active these days, get uh, uh, Naomi Klein or Naomi Wolf's uh, writings on, on, on these issues. And you will find Naomi Klein. I don't know if you're familiar with her writings or... Uh, yep. Uh, get her latest book, The Shock Doctrine. The Shock Doctrine will, will illustrate to you some of these things that are taking place. She outlines what uh, a, uh, a uh, political economist by the, uh, the name of Milton Friedman, yep. the, 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 the things that he's done and the laws that he had, that, that he had uh, prepared or, or caused the government to prepare that sit there on a shelf and they wait for a shock to happen. And when that shock happens, these laws come in there and they and they force people into a corner. And she backs everything by facts. Every single statement that she makes is 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 thoroughly referenced. And we're talking about people who have tremendous power to sue, to take you to court and take every asset, every cent that you have. So unless you have the, the, the facts behind you, you cannot write about those people. Yeah. And Naomi Klein uh, would not be able to present those information if she was not backed up by, uh, by tremendous facts. Now, her first book, No Logo, which is a very uh, uh, important criticism of her earlier book uh, about consumer society, translated into 28 different languages, probably more now. Uh, uh, sold yeah, but so did the international Jew. I mean, a book having been translated and have many book uh, copies sold doesn't mean that it there's has a, there's any a huge difference. authenticity. There's, there's a huge difference between those two books. What, what uh, Naomi Klein uh, puts to you is, is not something that is meant to attack a particular race of people. She puts to you something that is affecting your everyday life and how your everyday life and your decisions are being manipulated. Your decisions to, to uh, uh, buy things that you don't need with money that you don't have or pay extra for something that you don't need or lose your civil liberties because somebody out there thinks that they have the right to play God and make a decision for you and make a decision how you lead your life for you. Yeah. Uh, so this is very important. We can't we can't put ourselves in a cocoon or, or play the emu and put our head in the sand and say these things are not happening. We don't want to believe that anybody makes any plans. No, we have our Quran that says they plot, they plot and plan and Allah plans, but Allah is the best of planners, you know. Uh, we can't say that's not happening. It's always happening. No, we're not, what we're saying is it's not happening. But what I'm what I'm trying to say is, how, how does how how can we benefit the Muslim community when we're not really empowering them with that information? If anything, it it actually dampens your um, your ability, I think, to proceed with. I, I, look, I, I don't think so. If if somebody wants to be a defeatist, they can be a defeatist. But 
uh, as Muslims, you, we have no right to be a defeatist. To be a proper, a, 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 a true Muslim, you, when you see something wrong, you have to try and correct it. You have to put the effort in to correct it within your ability. Within so, could I ask then, I mean, um, what have you done? I mean, I know that you've been very, very well known in the media. So how do you deal with that? How do I deal with these issues? Uh, over the course of my uh, um, career in the community, if I can call it a career in the community, there's been uh, several different activities that uh, we, we've uh, worked on to try and, and address these, these problems. Uh, some of these activities involved interfaith events, interfaith programs that we brought people of various backgrounds together. Um, some of them involved uh, uh, engagements that were not related to faith but related to uh, bringing people together to address certain issues. We brought, we've, we've managed to bring people from all walks of life, people from politics, people from community leadership, people from a, a variety of different backgrounds. We've relied on uh, existing scholars. One of the things that I'm... Sorry, you, uh, okay, you're not really answering the question. I'm answering the question. This no. is what we do. This is what we do. I know, you, I, know I know. what people do in the media. They go... Li- uh, Talk about the media. I haven't started talking about the media. I'm talking about what we do to try and promote awareness, to try and address these issues. What we do is, if I, sum, if I simplify it, we look for partners. We look for partners in broader society and we embark on an action together. We make, pe- we, we make people realize that these issues impact on all of society. They don't just impact on Muslims. Muslims at the moment are an excuse. We are being used as an excuse to bring about these changes. We have a vested interest. We can look at ourselves, and this is an issue that I'm also passionate about. We can look at ourselves as 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 uh, as a minority of victims, or we can look at ourselves as part of parcel of a broader society. We're part of a whole here, a part of a whole that's known as Australian society, and Brother, this Australian society is part of humanity. Tell and me uh, about your work everybody. in uh, the uh, um, Islamic Friendship uh, Association of Australia. Is this something that is incorporated into that organisation? We, the, uh, you can visit our website and you see some of the activities that we've done. We, we have uh, a blog site uh, because that's uh, the most uh, economical means of, of uh, putting this together uh, where we've, we've got a whole list of activities that go all the way back to our establishment in 2003. This in, in, uh, includes a number of interfaith events and events yeah. that were not related to faith but related to, to issues that impact on people. What are the issues? Uh, for example, 2009 we did uh, a a, uh, an event on the financial crisis. Yep. The speakers were not Muslim theologians. They were not Christian theologians. They were uh, people who were expert in that field. We brought the experts in that field. And in the audience, we had accomplished politicians. We had accomplished community leaders. We had accomplished business leaders, accomplished media professionals. They all came, they attended, they, they listened, and they wrote about it. Some of them wrote about it. Some of them discussed it. Uh, we had, uh, we've had uh, events... For example, one of uh, the events that I wish our community would do more of is uh, uh, an event we held uh, back in 2005, I think it was, uh, uh, celebrating the lives and achievements of Christ and Muhammad. You do these things and you show people the, uh, that we have, we have so much in common and the issues that are impacting on us are impacting on them too. We are part and parcel of this society. How has the success been over the last, uh, what has it been, eight years now? Uh, th- look, th- this association has been going for eight years, but uh, in addition to this, uh, I've been, I've worked with a n- number of other associations. I've been a, a member of the Australian uh, Islamic Educational Trust since the 90s. Yeah. What uh, is the Islamic Educational Trust? Uh, it's a trust that operates a mosque and several school campuses in Brisbane. In Brisbane. Okay. Yes, I've been a member of that since the 90s, and uh, uh, I've been working uh, with various uh, Islamic established Islamic organizations as a, in my capacity as a volunteer. Uh, and some of them uh, send me questions that come to them from people in relation to Islam. We write the, uh, this, uh, the responses and send this to them. But this work goes through all these different organizations. We need to reach out and engage. We cannot be insular. If we are insular, we cannot solve the problem. We can't say that these problems are exclusively Muslim problems. They are problems that impact everybody. Uh, maybe the reason why we would call them, I myself would personally call them Muslim problems, is because I believe that a lot of the um, blame goes to the Muslims, to the Muslim community, whether it be the you know the, the individuals or the reaction of the uh, community leaders or even the policies of some Islamic organizations here. 
Well, this goes back to the point that I was saying before. What I noticed is that many of our community organisations were too focused on the things that bring in a government grant and not enough focused on the big picture issues. The big picture issues of getting our community to a situation where we have a lot of educated people, professionals, people who actually do have the uh, uh, the interest uh, and the the ability to go f to progress those issues and and get to us to to a, to a better point. Uh, these people are not given the opportunity. They're not brought together. They're not brought together uh, to, to actually address these issues. And when you bring some of them together, they don't have time. Every issue has to have a two-minute or a three-minute time for discussion. Uh, you want to address the issues? You want to just to feel good that you've had a meeting? Or do you want to actually work on these issues? Yeah. It's no good to just have a feel-good meeting. You have to have the passion inside you to want to address these issues and solve them. Do you think maybe it's just the managerial style or the organizational style of the most of these Muslim leaderships is that they're Arabs and so they like to talk but you know practically they don't actually uh, you know set down any um, structure to to do anything look I, I, I would not be so harsh on the Arabs I think the Arabs are great in uh, overall and uh, very very sincere uh, and uh, uh, I've found people of other nationalities also uh, many people to be good and sincere but uh, the issue is that we as a community are still, uh, especially in those established organizations, we care too much about protecting the seat that you're sitting on and not, and, and, and not enough about the actual work that needs to be done. It, it, I've seen so much resources wasted, without naming names again, uh, on, on protecting a position, protecting your seat on, on a board of an organization. You know, I was... Uh, uh, on one very well-known organization, one of the imams said to me, that's it, you have to go. I said, thank you. I've got other avenues to continue my work. I don't need to be there to do the, my work. And, uh, uh, you know, sister said before that I'm well-known through the media. I rarely put out a media release. I rarely put out a media release. I don't say to the media, come to me. But there are issues that we need to address. And if the, the people in those established organizations refuse to address them because they're afraid that they might lose a government grant or they might upset somebody, then I will address them. I will, I, I'm not afraid to address them. I'm not afraid to say what my religion is about, even if the issue is not popular. If it's part of my religion, then it provides a solution for society. And if it provides for a solution for society, then I'll be damned if I won't say it. I will say it. Tell me about the... Um how, what you think of the Muslim representation or the representation, representation of Muslims by Muslims to the media and to politicians Look, and to many, many of many of the people who who've made comment in the media have been have been very very good many of them have been very good uh, they they had a very good command of the issues that they, they've dealt with uh, but quite often many of them uh, don't have the time or will not give the time for these issues or they will shy away from issues because they're afraid to deal with them and there are some of them, unfortunately, some of them who've only come to prominence by stabbing or trying to step on other Muslims. Some of them have uh, 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 used an approach where, okay, who's uh, a well-known Muslim? It's Sheikh Taj Din al-Hilali. They don't care about how much his uh, work he offers to this community, how many sacrifices he makes. They say, well, if, if we go after him, then we'll get a name for ourselves. And that's what some people have done. And then as... Someone like me uh, be, became a bit uh, well-known. They said, okay, we'll get a name for ourselves if we go after him. And some of them have done exactly that. Uh, one of the first criticisms I got was because I criticized an action of uh, uh, American soldiers. I was surprised some Muslims were criticizing. What are you criticizing for? You know, what, what, who do you hope to appease in, in that criticism? Who are you trying to appease? I'm, I'm making a statement in the hope that I will save lives. These lives are human lives. Put aside the fact that they are Muslim. I'm making a statement so that my fellow people in this country will become more aware and they will bring their politicians to account. One of the first attacks that came against me was uh, when a, a group of American soldiers marched into a mosque in Fallujah, I think it was, yep. and shot down a bleeding civilian who was sitting, an elderly bleeding civilian who was sitting in the mosque. They came the day before they thought he was dead. 24 hours later, he was still alive. They shot him. And they had an embedded film crew, and they put those footage all over the world. It was a strategic mistake by them. I, I, I came out and, uh, and made a very strong statement about this, and I, I, I was subjected to a very vicious attack by one radio organization. And when that happens, there's no shortage of parasites 
uh, even within our community, who will come out and say, oh, it's popular to attack in this occasion, and they will attack. What happened to those human lives? Don't you have a responsibility to say something about them? Don't you have, you know, even a, a small atom of, of uh, uh, dignity to, to be able to stand up and say what what was done to this person is wrong? Forget that for one second he's Muslim or he's in Iraq. or where, He's an innocent human being sitting in a place of worship. If that had been a church or a, or a temple, well, there would have been an, a huge international outcry. But why are mosques fair game? Why are Muslims fair game? I find that you've actually received a lot more criticism than the Mus- in the Muslim community than the outer community. Well, look, uh, there, there's a, a couple of individuals who've been very active in criticising me uh, in the Muslim community. There are some people who uh, may have difficulty understanding the message that I'm trying to get. For example, I, I, I use one that came through this radio station. Probably didn't go to air, but people complained to uh, individuals. Here. When the tsunami happened... Very f- sometimes these power, power games happen and these word plays happen outside and we don't pay attention to them as Muslims. A Christian bishop comes out and says, this was uh, an example of God's anger on these people. Who did the tsunami affect? Muslims. Not simple Muslims. The most, some of the most devout Muslims on this planet. The people of Aceh were very, very devout God-fearing Muslims. I still, I still would uh, disagree with you strongly on this. The tsunami affected a number of countries. Uh, no, I think more than two hundred thousand people died. Look, look, uh, so, for that bishop to have said that, he probably would have said it against, you know, non-Christians or no, look, the majority. It affected a number of countries: Sri Lanka and uh, Aceh. And, uh, but the most number of deaths were in Aceh. The most number of deaths were in Indonesia. The most number of deaths. Even if so, but we can't really say that just because a bishop said it. Then no, that means, I mean, that's a generalization. Sorry, sorry. L- you, you, see, you, you missed the point. I'm uh, I, I didn't understand the point. Sorry. And, and see, that, that's it. When uh, the point was, I came out and said, no, what you should be looking at are the miracles that God uh, had affected uh, uh, by saving the people. The tsunami was was a reflection of our neglect of this planet, of all the pollution that we've caused. You know, the verse in the Quran, uh, this is what people, uh, these types of phenomena happen when we have caused problems to this planet. What the intervention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was in saving a lot of lives. Now, uh, some people decided that, oh, this, this, there must be something wrong about this. No, you have to say this is, you have to say this is uh, an act of God against these people. Why would I? Why would I want to say that this is an act of God when I, when I know all the information about most of these people, that they were good people, even if they're not Muslim, uh, you don't have anything to show that they were any more corrupt than we are. In fact, you have enough to show that they were better people than we are, on a moral level. And it's when I say we, him, how do we know what the intention behind it was? How can we we, we speak not, on behalf of Allah? No, it's just it's not up to you to say it's the intention. Allah knows the intention. Exactly. That's but, but that's what we the see point, on the surface. Yeah. What we see on the surface is good people. We are not allowed to say these are bad people. Look and at, and yeah. this is what the bishop was saying. These are bad people. God punished them. Why are they bad? Because they're Muslim. Why are they bad? Because Aceh was demanding that it has the application of Sharia when the rest of Indonesia. The Indonesian government did not want to allow to have that. Look, uh, bro, I mean, uh, I know you and you know me. I mean, I have nothing against you. But from my perspective, it seems that you're reading way too much into what he said. I mean, I agree with you that what he said is wrong because he doesn't know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was thinking, what his wisdom is. That's the whole point, you know, that it's a test from Allah of what we should be doing. But to say that because he's a bishop and because he was talking about Aceh, in the end of the day, people in Somalia died as well. People in in uh, Sri Lanka died. Why are people in Why are people in Somalia dying as well? It's because they're not safe to no, die, no. and it's uh, no, 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 no. I'll tell the, you. Of course, su- of course, no, no, no. It's, it's, the no things right. Dies, no one dies before their time. Nobody dies before their time. I accept that. Uh, but who has been intervening in Somalia and no, no, no. Uh, bro, I, I don't want to get into there. Somalia. When I was talking Who's about doing that. Um, brother, when I was talking about Somalia, I was talking about the tsunami. People died uh, from in Somalia from the tsunami. That's what I'm talking about. Many people in many countries died because of the tsunami. So you can say, you can theorize that that's what the bishop was talking about. No, no, but unless the bishop said, I am against the people of Aceh and I'm happy that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them die well, for that reason. He's not going to say it because people he, are going to condemn but, him for but, it. But go to the next step. What happened after that? The uh, several missionary organisations jumped into Aceh, and trying to transport some of those children in there to Christian orphanages. 
rather than just try to help them. And perhaps there was one noble Christian group in Australia that did not do that. But actually, and they, to be honest, uh, one Australian politician contacted me at that time. And he said, we, I, I'm working with a Christian group. Tell me what we can do to help without offending the Muslims. This group is not there to convert people. This group just wants to help. I said to him, I said, you want to help? There are some well-established Muslim organizations in Indonesia. Make a partnership with them. And to his credit, he made the partnership with them. And they, and they worked together. And that particular Christian group had no criticism. But, but there were so many others that were interested in one thing. Demographic change in, in Aceh. Demographic change. You take away enough of our children and you bring them back as Christian converts, then you end up with a situation just like southern Sudan. You end up with a situation just like some of those. Now, this issue of southern Sudan and some of the changes in Africa, Dr. Ibrahim had written about it. Uh, uh, he's actually analyzed it quite well in one of his books. I think it might have been in, in uh, uh, Invitation to Think. Yeah. Which is the invitation title. to Contemplate. Was it an invitation to contemplate? To contemplate. Yeah, I've translated both books, so I, I lose track of which book it was in. <laughs> but, uh, uh, in that book, he showed you how the, uh, the demography changed in, those, uh, in, in a number of African countries as a result of missionary activities. Uh, we can't discount that. We cannot discount that there are some people with a vested interest. I would agree yeah, with well, you. Uh, yeah, we definitely agree with you. But I think um, the, the whole thing is that there needs to be a, an approach in how we do things. And um, and that approach is moving away from that victim mentality or that mentality where we're, we're being attacked and we need to do, like, it's not, it, it shouldn't be coming from that. It should be a bit more um, proactive. And I think, in a sense, that's what your new organization no, I mean, I'll, is I'll, doing. I'll agree with, with uh, Brother Kaysar that, um, I mean, uh, these things are happening. You that's know, right, the, yeah. Changing, changing it's just, it's just the way we approach the situation should change. Look, the events, the events that we've done are proactive events. Yeah, I, the, I, I know the, the events the, that you've the done. The events that we've done very are good events, events, mashallah. But there are things that uh, uh, there are times when you cannot address an issue unless you're reacting, because sometimes it has to be topical. If it's not topical, no one's interested. And if somebody else decides to create a scenario for you, somebody else creates a scenario, and uh, I use the example of the bishop again. The bishop is saying God is causing death. I'm saying, no, God is saving people. You're arguing if, two different points, though. He's saying, when he says God is causing death, if he wants to say his vision of God is one that God causes death. Oh, you mean God causes death over anger? anger. Yeah, is that what you mean? That God is vengeful against these people and causes yeah. a tsunami out of vengeance to kill all these people. Yeah. But did he say that, though? Words to that effect. That's impl if, you, if, you read his, if you listen to his comments, that, that is the meaning in his, in his comments. So w were your response... No. Was, the, was, was, our view of God is God is merciful. That's right, but um, were you responding to what he was saying? Uh, see, this is, this is where you have to be clever. I, if I was to say, I want to make a response to this bishop and say this, then you've, you're, you're already on the back foot. You have to say no. Exactly. Me as a as a uh, as a Muslim, I want to tell you that my understanding of God is God saves. God is responsible for all those miracles of survival. My understanding of God as a Muslim is God is responsible for, and God has minimized the impact of that tsunami. But this is people. again, this is just one case of one bishop saying something. Forget about the bishop. The bishop. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, that There's that's what I'm saying, bro. To say that my God is a merciful God. No, you no, okay. But again, the Christians are the ones who say God saves and the Muslims are seen to be the ones who say uh, Allah hates and Allah is when angry. Did, when did I ever say that? Not you. I'm not saying you. This I'm saying that's what, that's what general so Christians Australians think. So what was Australians the criticism think. of you then uh, uh, from oh, this situation? The, the, I think that's the whole, uh, the, the, the whole discussion. Yeah, the criticism of some of those uh, people. Of uh, your comments. Yeah, yeah, of my comments is no, I, I, I should have said something similar. To, they didn't know what the bishop said, but, but they, they said I should have said something similar to the bishop. Uh, I mean, that's yeah, but uh, again, I mean, at the end of the day, that's just some <laughs> individual. Simply, that's no, it, it was a scandal. Uh, Dr. Ibrahim was uh, uh, questioned about it by so many people at that time, and uh, uh, we we discussed it. And uh, uh, it's it's just sometimes these things happen with from our people, and uh, to some of them, it is an opportunity to say, "Oh, well, you know, I never liked this person anyway." But uh, rather than say, and that he's not really a representative of the Muslim community. Uh, and look, nobody, nobody, no single human being can, can be, be a can claim can claim that he's a representative of our Muslim community. Why? Because we, as a community, 
refused to acknowledge any central leadership. That's another generalization again. Uh, no, 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 this is a truth. This is a truth. This, this is true. No, Every, I, I everywhere. Think, I think essentially people do recognize Look, a mufti in Australia and recognize that a mufti is a religious uh, is a religious jurist. They don't recognize him as 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 a, for example like a Khalifa. Look, if you'll say that of in Australia, not. We, we live in a non-Muslim uh, country. Well, like uh, we live we, in there, there is no Islamic state. We, we live in a non-Muslim country. But Catholics here and everywhere in secular societies recognize the authority of the Pope. You know, what, yeah, what I'm saying is... But that, that, that the authority of the Pope does not have influence or is not, um, you know, doesn't have his own state. No, no, yes, but he does. This, what do you this, think the Vatican is? I'm talking <laughs> about the Vatican. I'm talking about in Australia, though. We're very but, different but to but the Vatican. But he has very strong authority. And on the, what, what we need... To, before somebody can claim to be a, a, repre a representative of all the Muslims, that person would have to be appointed by a central authority. We would have to get that spirit of being an ummah again. The spirit of ummah is present in many of our young people. It That's is right, present. it is. It is present and it's growing stronger. But what is missing is, unfortunately, some of the young imams who've been very good in, in, in reviving that spirit of ummah have also guarded their group so jealously that they don't want them to, to associate with... You know, they, they they form a little clique and everybody has to be part of that clique and everybody else is wrong. We are meant to be together, you I'm, know. I'm agree with I, you. I don't understand. If, if this was Facebook, I'd like what you just said. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, just the lamest thing I've heard. <laughs> We're talking in Facebook terms now. Thank you. Thank you to both of you. I, <laughs> I like Facebook. I, I hate I Facebook. Uh, yeah. So, so the, the, this this issue is just are, uh, brother. We have we have five issues. minutes. So I just wanted to ask you about the the model in the U.S. The model in the U.S. has, for example, care. It has, uh, I think, uh, Isna, Isna, the Islamic and, yeah, and you also have Isna, and you have, uh, you know, the model in the U.S. is again divided. Care does a lot of good work. Isna used to do a lot of good work. No, no, but care is is more legal. While ISNA is more organizations. I mean, they do have a loose connection, which is much better than what Australia has. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I would, uh, I would say that Australia has a, a better potential uh, because we have an organisation such as AFIC. AFIC was structured when it, when it was structured, it was structured to be an umbrella organisation. Now, you sh I, I can see that you're shaking your head because you don't like the way it's run. Why can't we fix it? If you, if there's something you think is wrong in it, why can't we fix it? Yeah, there is an there is a mechanism. You see, as long as there's a mechanism to fix it's, an organisation, it's, it's, it's a beautiful idea to have ex a, exactly, such an umbrella exactly, organisation. Exactly, exactly. But and you've got the again, structure and you've got the resources. Put your put your effort into protecting those resources if you think they're not protected. Put your but effort, they have their own agenda. And who's they? It's an artificial entity. It's an artificial entity that is there that is that that can democratically change. Put the effort in. You know, put the effort in and, and don't be discouraged by a knockback. Don't be discouraged by uh, if if enough people if, if you work hard enough to actually bring about genuine improvement, you will get there. You have to you can't say I'm coming out of nowhere and today I'm gonna change it. No, you have to st start a process. You start, I, I hate cliches, but every journey has to be getting from somewhere. You know, you have to make a step. You can't just say, oh, knock it down because I think one person controls no, it. No, not, not knock it down. Definitely not. I think just change the... the... Who's going to change it? Who's got the moral authority to change it? I think you need more money yeah. than, than the moral you authority. More, you won't have uh, more money than they do. Exactly. You, that's Afik, the point. And Afik, that's why you can never really change their structure. Of course you can. AFIC is an organization that is now worth probably well over $100 million. It is your resource. It is your resource. It is the resource of and every single kept Muslim. And within the within who? Within the organization. How come the Muslim... Become part of it. Become part of it. I'm not trying to defend them. I'm saying you've got a resource there. Different to America. Because America... They've got 100 million. They're sitting on 100 no, million. No, no, no. No, and no, they, no, no, no. Resources. The resources. Not, not cash. Those resources have been used to establish several schools for you. I'm not saying this to defend them. Uh, I already criticised practically every Muslim organisation is not doing what it needs to be done completely. Uh, they've focused a lot on education, which is good. Our children need schools. We, If we see something else that needs to be done, let's start the process. Let's start the process. You know, Dr. Ibrahim saw a need for radio state. He established it. He did something. Uh, somebody else saw a need for something else. They did something. What we have to do now, and now he's really sitting on a golden opportunity as, as Mufti, 
try to bring some of those people together, even the ones you don't like. You need to work on the ones you no, don't inshallah, like. That's the, the whole like. aim of the Mufti office inshallah. is to bring all these organizations together. Definitely. Well, let's start. But then, but then we, oh, we have to set up an office because that office doesn't. There, really here's an office right here. You've got phones, you've got uh, microphones, you've got everything. Jazakumullah khairan. Um, I, I would love to continue this for another hour, but unfortunately, we come to the end of our show. Uh, this has been a very exciting and very explosive show. Jazakallah khairan. Thank you very much, brother. My pleasure, uh, brother. Thank you. for coming uh, to the show. Assalamualaikum to all the listeners. Inshallah. And uh, I would like to... Inshallah, no one takes anything what you, you say today out of context. Oh, look, I'll make that for you. <laughs> don't worry. They can take as much out of context as they like. It's yeah, not... Uh, no, Jazakallah khairan. I stand by every word at, that at I've said. At this station, we always pride ourselves on being uh, unbiased to anyone. Thank you. So, but um, I, st- I stand by every comment that I've said unless I... Uh, my English failed me. <laughs> <laughs> no, mashallah, very good English, not even a trace of Lebanese accent. Well, um, I would like to thank also uh, my co-host Sarwa. Thank you very much for coming. You're welcome. I will expect you to stay an extra five minutes because you're five minutes late. So, thank you. Inshallah. And uh, from uh, myself, inshallah, uh, Nasal Khatib, I would like to thank you all for uh, listening and my guests as well. Inshallah, and next week um, we're going to have a very special guest. Yes, and we won't She's tell you. She's all the way from Egypt. Oh, I guess we well, will. Somebody's more special than somebody else. That's uh, uh, well, yes, yes, that's very yes. elitist. Well, she's, that is no, very elitist. she's traveled a very long way to <laughs> yes. um, come here. No, no, we are very elitist. Who, at the radio who, station who was it? Um, it's um, Hanan Turk, yes. who's uh, an Egyptian actress, who mm. um, put on the hijab recently and um, is doing a lot of da'wah work. Inshallah. So, Jazakumullah khairan again, and we will uh, see you, inshallah, next week um, from uh, Al-Quran Kareem radio station, uh, Friday Night Live. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.